This is the Lions Edge presented by BetMGM. We are talking Monday morning, April 25th, about 9 o'clock Eastern NFL Draft Week at BetMGM. If you are listening today, Monday, we'll be on Twitter Spaces tonight doing a NFL Draft Q&A with Connor Rogers, uh, NFL Draft Analyst for Bleacher Report, 7 Eastern. Drop by, ask Connor a question about a player, a team, a potential trade, whatever. 7 o'clock Eastern from the BetMGM Twitter account. You can obviously get there from our Twitter accounts, or probably have the podcast Twitter account in there as well. But 7 o'clock Eastern from the BetMGM Twitter account with Connor Rogers tonight. Uh, as of this morning, again, we're talking about 9 a.m. Eastern, and that's going to matter for context as we go through this week, uh, NFL Draft, especially this morning, because as of, I think we both sat down to do notes on this episode yesterday, and there were uh, 27 or 28 markets available at BetMGM right now. We were told last week by trading that more will be live throughout the week. Uh, it's just a very tough event to handicap. So we're going to touch on some of those available ones this episode. And then tonight with Connor, I've placed a handful of bets already, and I'll get to those, especially one that I just get to it right now because we woke up on Monday and then the odds for the number one pick have completely changed. Um, I mentioned before the episode, it kind of feels like the Trey Lance situation a, a year ago where the 49ers make that trade. Uh, at the time, I think it's easy to forget that it wasn't assumed that Trey Lance was going to be that pick. Nobody knew if they're moving up for Justin Fields or Mac Jones or Trey Lance or probably not, but maybe somebody else. And then as the draft got closer, I remember we were spot on with this like three, four weeks before Trey Lance was sitting there, I think at plus 300, 350, 400. And you and I weren't necessarily sure that Trey Lance was going to go in that spot. But that value of what Trey Lance represented, because I think Mac Jones was the massive favorite at minus 250. And it, it, people people have come out and, and said, well, I've got sources within the San Francisco organization that say Mac Jones is the guy. And uh, and then that led us to go, OK, so let's let's take a shot here with Trey Lance, because because the rule, the rule to NFL draft betting, just to undercut some stuff I'm going to say later, the rule that underpins everything we, we should talk about every year is assume most of this is bullshit. Assume that most people are wrong about a whole lot of stuff and that whatever the thing you think you know is, you probably don't know that. But it seems like everybody knows that nobody knows anything and yet everybody still reacts to that. There was the report this morning of Adam Schefter that everybody wants to trade toward the back half of the first round or teams want to trade back into the back half of the first round. I don't doubt that's true. I'm sure that's true. But there are also probably a lot of teams that want to trade up. And you can't just trade at will in the NFL draft. You need to have a trade partner. So I don't doubt that that report is true. But I don't know how that would affect any mock drafts, any positions that I currently have in the draft, any bets that I may take by Adam Schefter saying that a lot of teams want to trade back. I have no idea what impact that would have. Um, and we'll probably get to different NFL draft betting strategy throughout this episode as we talk kind of case by case basis. But as I was sitting there yesterday, it feels a lot like I'm filling out a March Madness bracket where I'm taking some shots. I'm taking ones that I, a four over 13 that I feel really good about. And we'll get to that because I, I bet on Aiden Hutchinson at the number one overall pick because I this was last week. I got him at minus 175. He had dropped from about 250, 225 to minus 175, and he was sitting there for quite a while, which gave me confidence. You know, I was I was a little bit concerned that he was dropping, but I also loved that him and Trayvon Walker were so far separated from everybody else. At the time, it was plus 1,000, I believe, for 
for Neal. Uh, then Aquano was somewhere around 1,200. They're both still in that ballpark. But it told me that it's definitely one of those two. And usually, everyone isn't wrong about the top pick. The closest thing that I remember was going back to 2018, up until a couple days before, or a week before, whenever it was, Baker or Mayfield was not going number one in almost any mock. And then a couple days before, or three days before, that completely changed. Right, it, 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 it completely changes overnight. And then we wake up today and Walker is the favorite basically flipped. And I would imagine that those odds are going to shift dramatically over the next three days as everybody... I told you before the show that because I had placed a Hutchinson bet last week at minus 175, I basically wiped out that bet taking a small loss. I took a loss of, I don't know, like 15% or something by placing another bet on Walker. You're probably going to rip that strategy, but... Absolutely not. No, 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 it, no, 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 no. No, I'll I'm stop you right see, there. I'm, surpri I'm surprised that you aren't. If, look, if you took, a, like, I, I think your Aiden Hutchinson position was unwise in the first place, and I, I can circle back to that. But if if you wake up this morning and you see, oh, uh-oh, <laughs> this this might be a problem, and you you go ahead and, and hedge out on the Walker position at a loss of, I don't know, 10% of your principal, you're basically, you know, you're taking a 10% pay cut to wipe out what might have been a bad bet in the first place. And that option might not be available 24 or 48 hours from now because Trayvon Walker is minus 2,000 instead of minus 160. I think that's a very smart bet. That's a sharp loss to take. Now, what I would criticize originally, you and I just looked at the Aiden Hutchinson thing last week, and, and we didn't talk about this last week. But independent of each other, we saw completely opposite things. You you saw Aiden Hutchinson sitting there and thought, okay, this makes me more secure. I saw the number a week away from the draft and went, this is weird. Like he should be I here's where it really turned for me. ESPN put out a story last week that that uh that I'm gonna mess up the subtitle a little bit here, but it was like how it was the story, it was a feature on Aiden Hutchinson. It was a draft profile, and the title was like something, something, something. The uh, the story of the likely number one pick in this year's draft. And at the moment they were, you know, saying he is almost the certain number one pick, the odds were like minus 150. And I'm just like, yeah, this this is a thing. If it goes back to what I said five minutes ago, this is a thing we have all told ourselves is going to happen. But it's do we have any handicapping reason to think this is almost certainly going to happen. And then it comes out that the Jacksonville Jaguars have told Peter King, like, hey, you should probably expect something a bit surprising next week with the number one pick. So that that a little bit informs but are you, but are this. are you buying that? So I, I, going back to about nobody knows anything, are you actually buying? I don't doubt that the Jaguars told Peter King that. A lot of this reporting, like, I, I don't doubt that the reporters are reporting what they've been told. Like Andrew Brandt, who worked working the Packers front office, he tweeted that very often before the draft, reporters would come to him and say, hey, can I float your name, the Packers name that you're interested in trading for this guy or trading up? And he was like, well, sure, if it makes the other team, another team pay more for this guy or trade up, absolutely, you can float whatever you want. So I don't doubt that the Jaguars actually told Peter King that, but do you actually believe the Jaguars? Because we've heard that before. I mean, people start panicking a week before the draft. There's a big difference between a Packers front office guy who's maybe picking at 23 saying, sure, we're interested in trading up for that guy. Who cares? And information from the only team that's in the driver's seat to pick whoever they want. 
Like Jacksonville has no reason to lie, really. I mean, it's hard to say no reason because you never know. Maybe they're doing somebody that they like a favor that's picking at seven and creating, you know, some sort of chaos that doesn't need to exist otherwise. But for the most part, we mostly get pretty straightforward honesty from the people that are picking number one. So I, I, I mean, look, that's confirmation bias on my part because I was already looking at Aiden Hutchinson at, at minus 165 or whatever he was and going, eh, that number should be a little higher. This seems uncertain and trying to figure out downstream. That didn't mean I was taking a shot with somebody else at number one, by the way. I was just seeing the number and saying the only thing I would bet here is I would not bet Aiden Hutchinson. I would go somewhere else. I would find a way downstream to play against that. But yeah, I mean, that that's... I feel like Jacksonville has no incentive to lie. And so if, if they're coming out and saying five days before the draft, hey, this this might not play out like you think it's going to, that that feels like it's probably real to me. I think the the conversation we should have and the question we should ask is, if we are assuming what's going to happen at number one now in the aftermath of that, are we correctly assuming that it's Trayvon Walker and not somebody else? I don't, I, I don't know. I, actually, I don't, I don't even know if we need to keep pounding this conversation now that I think about it, because I mentioned that it kind of feels a lot like the Trey Lance situation where going into the draft last year, it always felt like that was a possibility. Like we knew that Trayvon Walker was a possibility. When I placed the Aiden Hutchinson bet, I wasn't placing it knowing that this was an auto win for me. I was placing it knowing that this sure seems kind of like a coin flip, not even necessarily a coin flip, Aiden Hutchinson, 60, 40. I thought the odds reflected what that was. And because that almost everybody isn't always wrong, I felt comfortable placing that. And let's be clear here. I'm not placing a ton of money on NFL draft bets. I, no. I these, these a, are like half units. If right. That. These are fractional like units. To, correct. E- even at the minus 175. I mean, we'll get to Chris Olave at plus 1600. And then I have another one that I want to talk about at plus 8,000. I'm even placing like quarter units on that because yeah. I enjoy betting the NFL draft, but I'm not betting hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, and Aiden Hutchinson to be the number one overall right. pick. But anyways, that's something my to watch my very unit closely. my my standard unit is fifty bucks, and when I bet the draft, it's usually like ten bucks a ticket. Like this this is much more recreational and uh, and explorative than than it is like really trying to get some advantage play here. Like it's the draft. You're guessing. You're you're making educated guesses. You're fading against the public. Like you're doing the same things that work in almost every market. But it's still guesswork. So, like, take, you know, take all of this in the spirit that it's meant to be taken, that we are talking about fractional units here. You mentioned, I didn't even see this this morning because I was so focused on the, the number one pick and Walker and Hutchinson's props coming down. The over-under is no longer available for those two. Number two and number three overall picks are no longer available. I expect those to be put back here at some point. But yeah, you would also mentioned yeah. that Malik Willis's props are, are off the board. And that's one of the, that's a second bet that I place is for number two. I have a small play again by small. I mean, literally $5 on Malik Willis to go number two. I think I have the odds of plus 8,000. There's, there's a value argument for Neil or Kwanu because of how it appears. The lions are rebuilding this team with Sewell last year. The quarterback is coming later. Edge is obviously highly possible, especially now. I mean, we're, I had placed this bet and I had made these notes prior to me thinking that there's, not a certainty, but a pretty darn good chance that Walker's going number one. So if Aiden Hutchinson falls unexpectedly to two, I think that changes the equation a little bit. And obviously, Edge is highly possible here. 
but you you can't possibly convince me that there is more value than Malik Willis at 8,000 to go number two. So that that number is off the board right now. Also off the board is Malik Willis. I have the under 10 and a half. With this bet, I feel like I'm getting several different options. I get the Lions at number two. I also get the Giants at number five. I get the Giants at number seven. I get the Falcons at number eight. I get the Seahawks at number nine. And that's without, without any... Yeah, that's out. What a, lot out of, a lot of outs. If you were if you were a poker player, you've got a lot of outs here, and that's without any of the trades. You had sent me that Ringer article that was actually published this morning uh, yeah. about less less need by and uh, Danny Heitzel. Stuff. Is, yeah, yeah, at the Ringer. Yeah, so we've we've already seen. I think that the number is eleven of the thirty-two picks have been acquired via trade, and that's bef- this is Monday. So I mean, it's highly possible that as we go throughout the first round Thursday, we'll end up with half of the 32 picks being traded. So I get all of those teams, Lions at two, Giants at five, Giants at seven, Falcons at eight, Seahawks at nine, without any of the trades. Uh, They're putting, despite Malik Willis's props being down, we still have the first quarterback selected. We were talking about that this morning. Malik Willis minus 155. Uh, That's moved just a tiny bit. I don't have the exact number, but I think it was at minus 150 yesterday or a couple days ago. Slats at minus 155. They're putting Willis as the clear favorite to be the first quarterback selected. Not a heavy favorite. It's very similar to where the number one pick odds sit with Willis at minus 155, Pickett at plus 130. So he's not the heavy, heavy favorite, but he's very much the clear favorite. He's the only one with minus odds. So if you're going to give me 8,000 for the Lions to say this is our guy right now, as opposed to walker or hutchinson or an offensive tackle uh, i'm more than happy to take that i'm guessing that you're not on this position but i'm pretty certain you see what i'm going for with the value of this bet absolutely yeah look so the the bet that i made this morning as soon as i saw everything was aiden hutchinson to go number two so that that was my position that was how i capped it but you're you have like a flawless handicap here and, and to your point malik willis his, I mean, we, you just talked about his odds to go number one and how he, he's now minus 155, the last number we saw and all that. But his odds specifically to go number two got adjusted all the way to eight to one. So it was Thibodeau to go number second, Hutchinson to go number second, uh, number second. Thibodeau to go two, Hutchinson to go two, Walker to go two. And then the fourth guy in that table was Malik Willis. So whether that's driven by action or inside information, because once we're 72 hours from the draft, a lot of this is like Peter King just published a new mock draft or somebody knows something like that's it's it's that kind of stuff when we're in this period. So I, I don't know what drives that number change, but I definitely think the, the fact that it, the number is now where it is for Willis to go to makes what you've done a, a very wise handicap. I'm not sure it actually happens that way, but it's still a ticket worth holding, if that makes any sense. It's not a contradiction. It's you, it's it's all about educated guesswork, and that is a very educated guess. But it, it's, it's interesting how the Hutchinson-Walker stuff at the very top scrambles all of the other stuff downstream of that, like it, especially one through seven. Because how I look at all this is, yes, there's there's some interest in, in what happens at number two. That's why I took Hutchinson to, to fall to two and, and then the Lions to go ahead and take him there. But when you look at three through seven, it's, what is it, Texans, Jets, Giants, Panthers, Giants. There's a lot of need for tackle in there. 
And so one of the one of the ones I really like, uh, Equanu was was plus two fifty, like a huge favorite to go third. I don't necessarily know that that's a lock, even though he was a big favorite like, relative to the rest of the market. But I do think it's telling that Houston's almost definitely going to draft a tackle, like it, not just because of need, but because of what the marketplace is telling you. So I, I think trying to pivot around there and figure out where the value is based on who's going to go in that three through seven spot after the number two spot, a lot of interest there. Uh, some of the stuff I took in this neighborhood, I took sauce gardeners under five and a half prop. I've got the, uh, the, the cross under seven and a half prop. And so I just, I think, I think there's a lot of uh, traction through that. I, I, there's a lot of different versions of what we might get, but I think they're all kind of related. They, like it's it's going to be a lot of the same seven or eight players that all go through there. And I think one of the players that might not go through there is Thibodeau, which is ironic because of how this was all sort of forecasted a year ago. Yeah, well, really quickly, I was going back through my notes as I was talking there. I I don't know why I said eight thousand for Willis. It was at plus one thousand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then I was going back through my notes and he was at plus 1,000. Then he moved to 800 and all that stuff. Going back to your Charles Cross really quickly, I like the 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 value from a narrative perspective there because everyone knows who Evan Neal is for obvious reasons. Equanu was that trendy number one pick there for like a month, I think, around the combine where he literally just came out of nowhere. I think he was, you know, plus 5,000 or something. Then he just rocketed up the board overnight sometime around the combine. I can't remember exactly when or why, but he got to pretty close to even money. I think at one point he was actually the favorite at BetMGM, but I'm, I'm not positive. And then Charles Cross has kind of just been sitting there because he played at Mississippi State. He he did not play for Alabama, and he was not the trending number one pick at any point. And Charles Cross is just kind of sitting there. If at some point we get the first offensive tackle selected, which I don't think we have, do we have first offensive lineman right now? Yeah, Quanu's at minus 150, Evan Neal plus 150, then Charles Cross at 600. I haven't looked at those markets closely enough, but just at first glance, if you're giving me Charles Cross at 600 to be the first offensive lineman selective, purely from a pushing back on the narrative perspective, I can totally see the value there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, I mean, there are going to be a lot of people, probably not us in this particular episode, but a lot of people are focused on the wide receiver version of this conversation about, do you take the super fast guy? I don't know. Maybe you do want to get into this, but this is, this is the offensive line version of this. And there's, there's a lot of super detailed nuance that you could get. I don't know how interesting it is, but we can get into about how you play tackle. And when you look at Aquanu and cross and like the, the the tackles at the top of this, like who is a definite left tackle, who can swing between left and right, who is probably going to grade out as a right. Like there's there's all these nuances that matter to the teams that would be drafting them. Why I ultimately took the under seven and a half prop is a I have a ton of outs here. Somebody could be wrong about Cross being the third, and somebody could draft him at three or at five or at six. Like, but ultimately it's just, I've got a lot of outs. The, the Giants can do something at five and then completely, you know, have a whole nother bite at the apple at seven and, and go ahead and take them. So it's, it's just a lot of options there. That's why I like that one. Sauce Gardner just felt like somebody's going to take him before five or five or before. I mean, it's just, he's too good. 
he's he's at the top. I mean, he's minus 500 to be the first corner, which is pretty impressive when you consider who the second corner is. So it, it just feels like he's going to go really fast and he's going to be in that Houston Jets Giants mix somewhere. The Gardner one scares me because of what you just said about offensive tackles and also edge. And I don't know like where Malik Willis plays into this because yes, I, I think he could go to the lions at two, but I'm, I'm not betting on, I'm, well, I am betting on that, but I'm not banking on that happening. there are too many other players that could go in the top five that would then push Gardner down. I completely agree that any of those teams, well, with the exception of probably the Jaguars, I don't know if the lions are going to reach and take him at two. Uh, speaking about the reach thing, I think that's an interesting thing we can probably talk about. What we consider a reach is not really considered a reach by most teams because ultimately we don't know what an actual reach is. Kind of like going back to your offensive tackle. We don't, we talk about this all the time. There are so few people out there that understand film, especially for offensive linemen and what teams are actually looking for in different techniques. And we can all throw around the buzzwords like zone blocking scheme and swing tackles and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, you and I don't have a clue what individual... I don't know what the Texans' traits are that are looking for in an offensive lineman. However, and, and, if, you're, and you're the the idea of a reach, well, like, oh, this guy got mocked at eight and they took him at six. That's a reach. Like, come on. That's not how this works. Like, So, it, like, describing anything as a reach in actual draft terms is kind of a mistake when you're in this zone. I'm thinking of it purely in the economic sense of betting the draft. If this guy is slotted to go seven and a half and somebody's taking thinking about taking him a three, I think that creates value for us in this in this specific market of, of betting uh, draft positional props. I've had to wait about 20 minutes to get to what you just mentioned, the whole Chris Olave, first wide receiver, speed thing drafted. I have Olave at plus 1,600 to be the first uh receiver draft that's bumped down a little bit I took that probably a couple of weeks ago now right now it's Garrett Wilson minus 200 Jameson Williams uh plus 200 Drake London plus 225 Traylon Burks and Chris Olave at plus 2000 and then your boy Christian Watson and everybody else is down there 5,000 6,600 etc and this is purely a historical bet because you go back last year was a little bit different with Jamar Chase consensus number one receiver could do it all, all that kind of stuff but going back to 2020, Ruggs went first. Definitely not considered the top wide receiver prospect widely by the public and pundits and all that kind of stuff. 2019, Marquise Brown went first. Wide open wide receiver class. The speed guy wins over Nikhil Harry. He wins over DK Metcalf and all his other guys. A little bit of a different deal, but a completely wide open wide receiver class. 2018, DJ Moore. Not a blazing speedster but he's still a speed guy that wins out over Cortland Sutton over Calvin Ridley 2017 John Ross was the third wide receiver off the board but he still goes top 10 behind it was Corey Williams and I just clicked out of it Mike Williams I still think that's a point in my favor that John Ross can go ninth in a draft that had other receivers that were more productive than him going back to 2016 Corey Coleman goes first another speed guy Will Fuller right behind him as a speed guy over Josh Doxson, uh, Laquan Treadwell. I mean, you and I know Big 12 football very well. And to take a guy like Corey Coleman, whom was productive at Baylor, but over a guy like Josh Doxson, who ended up being a, a total bust. But the point being is that over, I mean, we had five straight years before the whole Jamar Chase thing last year. Five straight years were arguably 
the top receiver or in the draft, the, the, the highest selected receiver in the draft, was not the consensus top receiver prospect with the exception of 2017, but that was the John Ross year. It's really hard to compare prospect rankings and predictions year to year because we have no idea what all, every single team thought about every single prospect. Were the Bengals the only team on John Ross? Were the Raiders the only team on Henry Ruggs? We have no idea, but I think it's very clear that teams will reach for these players. And in the... I, Again, going back to the reach thing and the public's opinion of a reach, what all of us idiots to consider to be an actual reach. When teams do that, it's almost always for a speed guy. Like they're never reaching for Cortland Sutton. They're never reaching for DK Metcalf or uh, Michael Thomas was in that other draft. He's gone down, like I said. He's now at plus 2,000 to be the first receiver off the board, which I don't think I really have the opinion on that. Going from 1,600 to 2,000, I'm not super concerned about that bet. It's not necessarily a lottery ticket bet, but it's pretty close to it. If he skyrocketed to plus 200, yeah, I'd feel really good about that. But dropping from 1,600 to 2,000, I just don't care at all. The point being is that NFL teams so easily fall in love with these guys that have blazing speed. And that's not discounting what Chris Olave can do. I mean, he's an elite route runner. He has good hands. He has production. He has all that kind of stuff. So I feel like that stuff is just a bonus that if one team, I have no idea if, if the Raiders were the only team that fell in love with Henry Ruggs or the Bengals were the only team that fell in love with John Ross. I just need one team. We go through all these NFL draft props where we say we have an out here, we have an out here. One of these four teams could take whomever. I only need one team to fall in love with him. And I feel like if you're giving me 1600 to place $5 on it, the value there is one of my favorite bets of the entire draft. Yeah, totally agree in with, uh, with your handicap. Given that a lot of this is an exercise in risk versus reward. So like, do I think this is going to happen? Absolutely not. But is it worth the risk based on the massive payout that you are getting offered with this ticket? I think absolutely. It's kind of the same. But I mean, going back to the March Madness, is it, is it me picking a 14 over a three where you right. chase Kitty are never going to do that when you're betting on the sports book, but in your bracket, you might do that. Yeah, it's it's exactly what it is. That's a great comp. And so I, I think this is a good buy from you. Where I'm concerned in the more reality-facing side of it is why is Garrett Wilson minus 200? Because I, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the effect of mock drafts in the betting marketplace. Like there is some realness to that where – Mock draft, because this is something that's so esoteric in the draft and how people make evaluations and ultimately make picks, the marketplace is kind of heavily shaped by public perception, which is in turn heavily shaped by mock drafts. So it's like it's not a coincidence that right after all these mocks start doing something different at number one, all of a sudden Aiden Hutchinson's odds are a little bit different. Trayvon Walker's odds are a little bit different. And then so, every mock from here on out will have Trayvon Walker at number. I mean, I even looked this morning, like every everybody is updating their mocks with Trayvon Walker at number one. And it's not, hey, why are you doing that? Clearly you're following everybody else. Right. So when we understand that, we, we understand that this is a good question. Why is Garrett Wilson the favorite wide receiver to go first? Because I don't think I've seen any mock drafts that have him going as the first wide receiver. Not one. I could be wrong about that. I don't read every mock draft. I think you are a little bit wrong about that, but I, I, 
I see your point because there are a lot of mocks that have Jameson Williams one. There are a lot of mocks that have yeah. Drake London number one. That, lot, I mean, that, lot, that's lot a concern. Drake because, London. Yeah, a lot of Drake London. And a because lot of you have Williams. three guys at plus 220 or better. So, yeah, it's a steep mountain to climb. I'm I'm pretty darn sure that Traylon Burks is not going to be the number one receiver. So I, I don't even care about him at plus 2,000. But your point being is that you have three guys that I, I know you're talking about Wilson at minus 200, but I'm looking at this bet. You have three guys as kind of co-favorites within the same ballpark, massive separation after them. Yes, that's the concern, but that's also why I'm getting them at plus 1,600. That's also why in a 14 over a three matchup, whatever the numbers were, they win, you know, 88% of the time. That's why you're getting the value of that player. And and to be clear, I am not suggesting go buy Garrett Wilson, right? Because in almost all of these props, I don't want to lay like one to two kind of juice. I don't want to pay $2 for a ticket like this. I think I've been clear the value in betting the draft is, is going against public narrative and, and finding plus rated props. So I am not suggesting go get Garrett Wilson. I'm using Garrett Wilson as a tool to compare against the Chris Olave thing. Like, and that's that, that I think is where that's a useful idea. If I had to take one of those guys, not named Chris Olave, I'm probably taking Jamison Williams at plus the 200 because I would tell yep. we don't know the medicals. We don't know if he's going to be out for six games or one game or 15 games. And we don't know the team that takes them if they actually care. So I, I think that, because of all that uncertainty, you can also use that to your advantage and say it again. It only takes one team, Jamison Williams, uh, at plus two hundred. I have one more kind of uh, argument, I guess, to be made about the draft. And then I'm basically set until we get some more markets up. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I've got a couple things. One of the things I'll mention here, just because we've been talking about the receivers and you name dropped them, is is Burks, Traylon Burks. One of the foundational draft betting pieces I have is the idea that, and, and I think NFL people can articulate this better than I can, people that are really dialed into the draft, but there's only about 15 first round picks in every first round. And, and that's, that's something that's it's kind of unsaid, but really smart draft people will tell you there is a big difference between the top 15 guys in a draft and then I don't know let's say 16 through 50 and that is especially pronounced this year so if there is not much difference between guy number 20 and guy number 40 one of the things I like to bet is positional overs in the back half of the first round because that's where things start to get a little unpredictable You've got teams trading up into the back half of the first round to draft some guy that you weren't even paying attention to because they feel like he's not going to fall. Like it's 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 just a place where I feel like the market is super inefficient. And so when you look at Burks, who's got a, a positional prop right now, 23 and a half, that's an over for me. And it's it's an interesting one in particular this year because so many people think there's going to be a run on wide receivers. And that run could continue all the way through the part that we've already hit, the Drake London and the Jamison Williams in that portion, and get down to Burks and Alave and Christian Watson. But there's no guarantee that they're going to pick it exactly in that order. There's no guarantee of a run at all. And I feel like once you start getting into that 18, 19, 22, 25 range, 
like you can see a wide level of variance. So he is the first prop that I'm sort of testing this idea with this year that I'm going to go over just because I think you're going to have much wider variance in the back end of the draft in, in the first round anyway. Uh, but let me ask if, you, let me ask you, I know you're going to, you hate these stupid hypothetical if this betting market existed, but as you were talking through that, I was kind of looking down at the receivers. Like you said that people haven't necessarily been paying attention that much attention to that's that surprisingly goes not like a D Eskridge type last year, because I think he went in the second round, but receivers that people aren't necessarily expecting to go in the first. If I gave you even money odds on Traylon Burks to be selected before that group of David Bell, Jahan Dotson, Sky Moore, Jalen Tolbert, John Match. Like you can have all of those guys that one of them is selected before Traylon Burks, even money or minus 110 on the other side. It seems like you would lean toward a Bell or a Dotson or a Moore or a Mechie or... Do I get Watson in this group of, in the field group? Sure. I think that changes I, I've, seen, a I've bit. heard a lot of smoke about Christian Watson, somebody trading up to get him in the back end. Sure, of the and, and then that's still noticeable. I, I get that Christian Watson is about as talked about as you can be for an FCS receiver because as our colleague Sam Herter noted, there hasn't been an FCS receiver taken in the first round in 22 years. So coming from a powerhouse, like he's as talked about as you possibly can, can be for an FCS receiver. So I'll give you him in this exercise but I think he's talked about enough. I'm more looking at like Jalen Tolbert. Like, is somebody going to reach for him at the end of the first round over Traylon Burks because they don't think Traylon Burks can run routes? Like, so if I gave you all of those guys, kind of the field versus Traylon yes. Burks, the answer your question like is leaning, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like we're leaning that. toward that direction. Yeah, because you take you you just expect I think chaos when you get into that back end. So yeah, I mean that, that's that's something I would look for, and I'm hoping we get to see some more of these sort of back end of the first round props because I think they are highly, highly exploitable. And I, I'm assuming that's why we haven't seen a lot of them is because the traders and the, and the people that set the lines kind of understand the same thing that I'm getting at here, that uh, th th this is a, an area that is ripe for total chaos and, and people moving up and people going back and, and all sorts of, you know, people that are graded in the second round people trading up to draft him at 27 and that kind of thing. So uh, I, I, I'm kind of uh, cynical about the idea that we're going to see some more, but I really would love to see some more. You mentioned you have a couple more. What do you got? Yeah, I, I mentioned that I, I have th the Thibodeau prop. Just to spell that out, I have Kayvon Thibodeau over four and a half, uh, plus 120, so his draft position over, uh, over four and a half. I have Kenneth Walker as the first running back to get drafted at five to two. And that it's just it's it's another one of those. Everybody's just assuming Brees Hall is the guy. And I I just think, should we make that assumption? I And Hall's awesome. We watched him at Iowa State. He's great. But I, I think you can make the argument that Kenneth Walker is just as uh, is just as pliable as him. Like he can do. I think he can do a lot of things. Uh, he's a Big Ten running back. I just think he's. If, if you're telling me, like, oh, it's Brees Hall's definitely the guy and he might even go in the back end of the first round, somebody might trade up to get him and all these things, I just challenge that assumption on its face. It could totally end up being fine, but I'm I'm taking I'm taking a shot with Walker and, and sort of this contrarian. Uh, I don't I'm not going to buy into the same assumption as everybody else. The other thing I have uh, and I, I already have this ticket, it's already done. 
Kyle Hamilton under 11 and a half. And I, I have heard a lot about Washington taking him specifically because they need both a linebacker and a safety. And he can kind of, you know, he plays that very in vogue Rover hybrid position that you could slot him in kind of either place, depending on the scheme and what you're trying to, you know, do defensively. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think the number itself is kind of, I think it's a sharp number that it was set very intentionally at 11 and a half because it seems like Washington is, is sort of the stopgap there. And if somebody's going to take them might be Washington. I've seen them mocked higher than that, but it feels to me like Washington is the spot. And it does like to add some context around that. We haven't had a safety go that high since Jamal Adams in 2017, where he went six or eight or wherever, wherever the jets took him. So it is kind of unusual. Usually you don't see a safety off the board until 18, 22. Like it's usually a playoff team that's drafting them and, and like wants to, you know, wants to find some sort of playmaker on the back end of the defense. So it's, it is unusual to see it, uh, see a safety picked this high, but the book is telling you within 11 and a half draft spot that, you know, maybe this is uh this is that high for a reason. I refuse to believe that that many teams would pass on an elite playmaker in the secondary. And I get that I haven't taken this prop yet, but I'm, I'm highly likely to take it. I, we could get burned if multiple QBs go in the top 10. Uh, maybe a receiver or two goes in the top 10. Maybe we'll Wilson gets up there. Maybe, maybe you get that one team that likes Jamison Williams. All the edge rushers up there too. All the offensive tackles. Maybe a Quan O'Neal and Charles Cross go in the top 10. But as you start, I mean, I listed off like four different things. It's just too many ifs to take the over here. Uh, I, I think that if you want to pass on this prop, that's fine. I don't know how you take the over. I think that you're asking for way too many ifs. If you're going to take a side on this, it absolutely uh, has to be the under 11 and a half. I think that opened at 10 and a half uh, and then went up to the 11 and a half. The only other thing I have here is using the NFL draft invite list. I don't know if we talked about this last year, but I think it came up at some point offline looking hard at odds involving players invited to the draft, specifically guys that you're a little bit surprised by. And each year the invite mm. list comes out a few weeks before. Okay. I, I think I always think back to uh, Keanu Neal, the, the fringe invite into uh, 2016. And then we're all sitting there wondering if Neal's even going to go in the first round. So he can be sitting there all day. He's going to come back on Friday, which the NFL doesn't want. I get that that kind of makes for good TV, but the NFL ultimately does not want players just sitting there until Friday. Neal goes 17th to the Falcons. And then when the invite list comes out this year, two guys perfectly fit in this, Matt Corral and Kyler Gordon. And players fall beyond our expectations every year. Obviously they do. And some players reject invitations, which leads to lower tier players going because the NFL wants a certain number of players there and all that kind of stuff. But Corral and Gordon were invited for a reason. And even though their props aren't available, I'm going to be watching very closely if and when the props are released for Corral and Gordon, especially Gordon, because I agree, especially Gordon. Matt Corral's a quarterback. There's some sex appeal, but Gordon is very interesting. Right. He's an SEC quarterback. His head coaches loud he was in the Heisman race you had like your entire house on Matt Corral and everything about Ole Miss football this year but how much time did we spend talking about the actual football aspects of Washington the last two years we were all over the Jimmy Lake stuff you were on the Jimmy Lake stuff before he even coached a game but who 
Like, what average better is super aware of Kyler Gordon? Yeah. Just because of what Washington football has looked like the last few years, even going back to Chris Pearson's final year. I mean, that, that was a very mediocre sub 500 in Pac-12 play program in his final year. And then you have the last two messy years. What Gordon's invite felt like was when you, when you, you being chased spot a fishy number and you lean into it. Absolutely. You say this spread feels weird. And I get that you get burned on that sometime. Like you talk with the South Dakota state Providence thing a lot where that number felt so weird and you're going to lean into it. The book put it there for a reason, that fishy number. And more often than not, you lean into the fishiness and take it. That's how I feel here because I was absolutely floored by Gordon's invite. I'm very curious what his over under is. I'm very curious if we get an over under on Washington players in the first round because you have McDuffie there who seems like he's probably going to go in the first round. So maybe we'll get a market on Washington at that one and a half. Uh, Maybe we'll get a first round number on Pac-12 players where the public isn't going to include Gordon in the equation Maybe they didn't look at the draft invite list. Maybe they didn't watch Pac-12 football. I'm going to look at those numbers. I'm almost definitely going to lean into that fishiness of Gordon getting the invite. I'll be watching that very closely the next three days because that that felt weird. And then the Matt Corral stuff, I get the whole SEC thing, but I still don't think he's been mentioned enough among Pickett, among Malik Willis, even among amongst Devin Ritter. But if he's getting the invite... I really don't think he's going to be sitting there until pick number 50. So I don't know where his over-under is going to come in at. I don't know if it's going to be 27 and a half or 35 and a half. I have absolutely no clue. But the fact that he got an invite like Kyler Gordon makes me think that they know something about some team trying to trade back into the first half of the first round with their second or third first round pick. Grab, not a lottery ticket quarterback, but kind of take a shot with Matt Corral. And if he's getting that invite, he's probably going fairly high. Yeah, and there's there's been a lot of mock draft smoke from the like if you don't understand how mock drafts work, I'm, there are definitely assholes out there that you're just like, I think this guy is gonna go eight, then fine. And some of them are even really good at it. But the top mock draft guys, they are talking to GMs, they're talking to directors of personnel, and and they are using that information to shape their drafts. So when all of a sudden over the last week. There's a bunch of mock drafts that are saying, I think, you know, X team could trade up to 28 to take Matt Corral. Like that's probably not out of nowhere. Like that, that probably means that there is a market that some of these top guys are aware of for, Hey, if we want to get Corral, we might not be able to wait to day two. We've got to go find somebody that's that's there in the back end of the first round. That's willing to trade down and and give up their pick and we can get up there and, uh, and get him. It's interesting that you bring up the QB stuff because I think the very, very, very last note that I have here is one way to fade some of the Malik Willis stuff to get to get back to the quarterback market. Kenny Pickett's draft position prop has gone in, in the last few days from like 23 and a half up to 12 and a half. And it's it's a total downstream movement because once you have Malik Willis like at eight to one odds to go number two, like we talked about earlier, or they, you know, he's been heavily mocked to Carolina because Carolina picks at six and then they don't have a pick again until day three. And if if they're going to take a quarterback somewhere, they pretty much have to do it at six. So the more market pressure that gets on Malik Willis going this high, you have to adjust Kenny Pickett's props because the marketplace has changed. But I feel like 
this is a fade target because some of the Willis stuff is based on assumption. You are guessing that somebody's going to reach. I think we would agree all the reach stuff aside that we talked about earlier. Kenny Pickett at 12 would probably be a reach. Like that's pretty Kenny Pickett at six would be an outrageous reach. Yes. <laughs> so the idea that, that some of these teams would reach for what has been graded as kind of a marginal quarterback when there are so many good options still there on the table in the top 12 or 14 picks, like this is a total fade target for me to go over Pickett at, at 12 and a half. I just think I, I would, I would buy that. I would even look at odds if, if they get posted about like, you know, corral to be the second quarterback taken or Desmond Ritter to be the second quarterback taken. Like these are all things that I would flirt with depending on the price. If you can get a good one. I might chop on this Isaiah Spiller plus 1000. First running back selected. This feels like a Javante. I don't think that's it bad. Feels like a, it feels like a Javante Williams play last year. I remember we had Thor Nystrom on before the NFL draft last year. And he, I mean, he was all over Javante Williams. And it sure seems like he was he's going to be the best running back that was taken last year. And I, it wasn't a plus 1,000. He was, I don't know what, 500 or 600 or something. Because it, the gap was not as big as it is between Brees Hall. And I can't remember... Travis that's, I mean, that's the same idea I have with Kenneth Walker. It's just you're taking a diff, a better number and a different guy. Like, so, I mean, I, I love the idea. I just chose a different guy. Anything else? 72 hours. Can't wait. Uh, hope everybody comes by our uh, our Twitter space later today with Connor. It should be a, should be a good time. Yeah. Twitter space is 7 Eastern tonight, Monday night. Connor Rogers uh, answering your draft questions. Hop on, ask a question. It'll be a good time. I am out at least next week. Are you doing a pod next week? I yeah, you gonna you gonna tell the people what's going on? Moving them west, taking Moving the family west. west. Yeah. So all It'd of your shit talking about Central Time being the uh, the supreme time zone, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to walk that back. Oh, isn't that, now it's Mountain. Now it's Mountain. Okay, interesting. 10 a.m. College football kickoffs. I mean, don't I don't think anybody until, has a problem with that. Don't have to wait until noon Eastern out there on the East Coast. Anyways, hoping to be available the following week. Uh, but pretty soon we'll be jumping into some NFL and college football content, which I just cannot wait for. I can't wait for some of these NFL and college football futures to be posted. I know we have some win totals. We have some conference championship stuff, I think, on there, some national championship stuff. Uh, but anyways, Twitter spaces tonight, 7 Eastern. We would love to have you. Thank you for listening to the Lion's Edge presented by Bad MGM. GM.